I'm thankful for uh, all that God has done. And, um, and we're kicking off this year fasting. How many of you are fasting? Just raise your hand. Fasting from something. Fasting in some way. That's a, that's a good deal. So uh, we've been doing this as a church body for over 10 years now at least. And um, maybe even longer than that. But I look forward to the beginning of the year, stripping away some of the stuff that is unnecessary. I'm not saying meat is unnecessary. It is. Uh, but, um, but getting our heads clear, getting our minds focused. And so um, we started a conversation last week online about, about hearing the whisper, listening for a whisper. Because I don't know about you, but God typically doesn't scream over everybody else. We, uh, we clear our minds and set aside time for him. And we hear him in the whisper a lot of times. And so that's what we're talking about uh, this month in January. And last week, um, we talked about Elijah. And God taking him up on the mountain, putting him in the cave and and hearing a whisper, being able to clear out all the chaos from his life. This week, I want to talk about something that um, maybe not being as popular. <laughs> we, um, I also want to say, before I, I dive into the text, that Wednesday night, last Wednesday night, started our first prayer night. We'll have two more. And so this coming Wednesday night, Lord willing, and it doesn't snow, uh, we'll be here at 7 o'clock. And uh, spending time in prayer together. And it was, um, it was a great night. And I encourage you to be here. Um, but we're going to pull off of that theme of Wednesday night a little bit this morning. And, um, but we're going to use a story that I bet if you've never read the Bible, you've heard about. How many have ever heard the term prodigal son? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever been? Uh, never mind. Um, it might be too early. The prodigal son is a, is a story that is, it's a, it's a saying that is famous, whether, whether you've ever been in church or not been in church. It's, if you say, hey, I got a prodigal son, everybody knows what you're talking about. Um, if you say, I was a prodigal son, or if I was a prodigal child, everybody knows what you're talking about. It means you were wayward for a while, and then you what? You came back. And it also indicates that your parents forgave you, right? Okay. So we're going to talk about that, that young man today and his family and his, his brother in the sense of, in the sense of dealing with our sin, dealing with our circumstances. And so let's, uh, let's dig into this. We're going to read from Luke chapter 15. So why don't you stand to your feet? In honor of reading the word, Luke chapter 15, we'll start in verse 11. Say amen if you're ready. All right. Now this is Jesus telling a a story, a parable, all right? And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while it was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this son For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf. Because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and and treated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. You know what this sounds like to me? Anybody else? I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. (laughs) Yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes and killed the fatted calf. You killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. This your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So father, we thank you this morning. Lord, we pray that as we look into your word, God, it would change us. We came here on purpose today, Lord to be in your presence, to be with each other and to look into your word. And you said, if we would do that, it would renew our minds. So we ask you to do that this morning, make us different, more like Christ in Jesus name. We pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. The parable of the prodigal son is, as I said, one of the most well-known stories in scripture. It's couched in several other parables that all talk Jesus' teaching, and it all talks, uh, points towards the idea of how valuable one person is coming back. And we can be so caught up in the masses of, um, you know, getting massive amounts of followers, getting massive amounts of interaction, getting, we, we talk in terms of today's culture and in terms of how many people do you have? And Jesus is pointing out that it's not just how many people it's, it's one person is important. Look at your neighbor and say, you're as as important as the whole room. Tell him, tell him you're as important as the whole room. Now, I don't know if your actions this week have proved that out. That's another sermon. But what Jesus is telling, along with this parable, there's a parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. 
it was a, it was a statement by some Pharisees and scribes. He was responding to them because they were grumbling over Jesus receiving and eating with sinners. So picture this, Jesus in, in, um, in a Jewish culture who, who right acting religious people were not supposed to be associating with the, with the unreligious or the, or the sinners. Jesus is breaking all the rules and he's meeting and receiving these people. And, and can I just say they were normal people? They were normal people. They were the people you work with. They were the people, they were you. They were me. And Jesus was receiving them. And they say, how do you, how does he do this? Why do you, why do you eat with sinners? And so he tells them these three parables. Luke records it. And the, the parable of the prodigal son is, is locked in, in with these other two parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And, and it's how important it is that, that one person, the return of one individual back to God. So he's not, Jesus is not going out to Gentiles and trying to attract them. He's telling the Pharisees, if one Jewish, if one Jew, if one, if one Israelite, if one of us were to turn back to God and do the right thing, do you know how important that is? And they were willing to overlook the whole thing. So what we're going to focus on today is, uh, is the son and, and his confession. Now, this may be a little controversial because there's been thousands and thousands of hundreds of thousands, thousands of sermons preached on this. But what we're, what we're likely to do is um, we're likely to call the father of this story God and the son us. And, and, and that's a, maybe a little bit of a stretch. So what Jesus is saying, when, when a son returns to a father, that's worth celebrating. And he's trying to tell the scribes and the Pharisees, listen, wouldn't you celebrate if a son returned to the father? So he's saying, I'm trying to do the same thing. I'm trying to bring these people back to the father. So what happens in this story, just a little recap. We call it the crisp paraphrase. Uh, I won't be writing a Bible anytime soon, but it would be interesting. Um, so what happens is there's a, there's a family. And traditionally back then, the, um, you know, like today and a lot of times, if there's an estate, you, you split up the estate and everybody gets their inheritance and gets your portion. And this son goes to his father early. Now, I don't know about you, but, but that would be a pretty large dig on, on you as a dad, wouldn't it? Hey dad, I don't want to wait till you're dead. Give it to me now. So this guy's mindset is already a little twisted. He goes to his father and says, hey, I want whatever's coming to me. I'm, I don't want to live here anymore. I don't want to do what you want me to do. I want to just go. So he goes. The dad says, okay, I'll give it to you. Now, financially, what you have to remember is if you take it early, you lose all the interest between then and when your parents would die. So I don't recommend that. He takes it early. It says he goes off to a foreign land. We're, now, we're going, to assume, we're going to assume this is about a Jewish family. We're going to assume this is about a Jewish family. So he goes to a, to a Gentile land, not Jewish land. And we know that because they're raising pigs. Are you following me? So he goes off, he squanders all of his money. And when he squanders all of his money, how many of you know that it's, 
It's in the times when you have no money that the car breaks down. Isn't that true? It's like, if you got piles of money in the bank, everything seems to work. And then you, and then something happens and you run out of money and then the refrigerator breaks, the car breaks, you know, the kids need braces. I mean, come on, they can wait. So what happens is spends all of his money haphazardly. We find out later his older brother accuses him of spending it on prostitutes. So there's no, there's no glory in whatever he's spent it on. And now he's at the place where there's a famine. So now he's stuck, double stuck. And he's hired himself out. A Jewish man has hired himself out to a Gentile. And he's working in the midst of pig slop. Now, I don't know about you, but that's about as low as he can get. And he's actually starving to death in the meantime. Because, because Jesus tells a story, he is looking at the pods that the pigs eat, wishing to eat them. Now, I got to say, I give it to the guy. He's still, he's still keeping a little bit of the commands because it doesn't say he did eat them. It says he wished to eat them, but no one would give him anything to eat. So he's as stuck as he could get. He's as low as he could possibly get. And Luke records Jesus telling the story this way. There comes a day where it says he comes to his senses. Look at your neighbor and say, when are you going to come to your senses? When are you going to come to your senses? But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have had more, more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. This, um, this phrase came to his senses, came to himself is a, is a phrase in the Hebrew and the Aramaic expression for actually the act of repenting. Anybody, anybody ever been in a circumstance where, where, where you just decided it, let me, let me back up a second and get a survey real quick. Any bullheaded people in here, um, and, uh, and what happens to us bullheaded people is we like to run all the way down to the end of the road, right? We like, because there's still road left, so you still think you might have a chance to turn it around. And you still think, ah, oh, the famine won't last long. There's no way I'm going to get stuck out here starving to death feeding pigs. No way that's going to happen to me. And so I'll just keep running down the road, running down the road, running down the road, running down the road, until you're, until you're so weak you can't pick yourself up anymore. And then you double down on it again. That's me. I want to make sure there's no way to dig myself out of it. Anybody else? Okay, so. So the question is, have you ever asked yourself, how long does it typically take me to come to my senses? How long? So he was all the way at the end. He's, 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 he's sitting here one day going, you know, back at my dad's house, the people that work for us have more to eat than I do. The hired service, he's not talking about slaves. He's talking about the people we hire to do work, eat better than what I'm eating. I'm not eating anything. And Jesus said he came to his senses. Now, what oftentimes has to happen to people is we got to get all the way down to the end of the rope and then the light flicks on. Says he came to his senses. There's a little word we, we, we say in the church that is really not used anywhere else very often. 
and it's called repent. It literally means to turn, to turn from what you were doing, turn to something else. So this is what I'm doing now. In this story, the young man is feeding pigs, wishing he could eat whatever the pigs were eating, but nobody was giving him anything to eat. So he, he's all the way down as low as a Jewish man could be. As He's hired himself out to a Gentile. He's feeding pigs. He's actually looking at what the pigs are eating and wishing, and he decides it's time. Came to his senses. And... What happens in that moment is he says, I'm going to turn from what I'm currently doing and I'm going to go and decide to do something else. Are you following me? I'm going to go and decide to do something else. Repentance starts with an awareness of ourselves. What I'm finding out lately, there's um, anybody heard of IQ? That's intelligence. Anybody ever took an IQ test? Anybody? pleased with your IQ test. Um, you know, there's also another thing called EQ. His, have you ever, and it's not, we're not talking about sound. It's called emotional intelligence. Anybody ever question their emotional intelligence? So what happens is that when we, when we repent, it means we become aware of ourselves and our own condition. Are you following me? It means we become aware. Now, what we understand is we've all been in circumstances where we were wholly unaware of our, of our actions. Can you help me out? There, there's circumstances in our lives where we're like, no, I'm not doing the wrong thing. This is what I want to do, and I'm going to do it, and it's fine, and nobody can judge me, and I'm just going to do my thing. And if I blah, 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 blah. And then we get all the way to the end of our, end of our rope. And my hope and prayer is that we, at least we come to our senses at that time. And we start to question whether we knew what we were doing or not. And, and there's a little bit, there's a little bit of self-awareness comes in. In this young man, there's a little bit of self-awareness. What am I doing? What am I doing here? There's nobody back in my dad's house starving. And by the way, nothing he did before was worth starving over. The wild living, the prostitutes, the, the freedom, it was, none of it was worth starving over. If you asked him to take care of the pigs, if everything he had done beforehand was worth where he was, he'd say no. Because he had come to his senses. So one of the most important things we could do is have a moment like that where we come to our senses. Some of you can point back to a moment where you came to your senses. The sinner must always recognize their need for salvation, turn towards God and receive forgiveness. The issue is this. We have to, we have to understand that, that God does not force you out of the pig pen. It's a coming to our senses where we turn to him. Repentance starts with an awareness of ourselves. You cannot turn to something unless you're turning from something. So this man figures out at the end of his rope, this is not working. I'm going to die here. I'm going to starve to death. So he swallows his pride and he turns and he says, listen, I'm just going to go back. In Luke chapter five, he records Verse 31 and 32, the Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners 
to repentance. You say, what does that mean? Jesus said, those that are sick are the ones that need a doctor. Those that are well don't need a doctor. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Raise your hand again if you're stubborn. Raise, just, let's get a, let's just get a hug, a group hug together with us. Okay, stubborn people, listen to me. You never go to the doctor because we don't admit we are sick. So, you know, my problem is I'm standing by the pigs wishing I could eat the pig, pig slop. And then when somebody comes by, they go, hey, Chris, how you doing? I'm like, I'm good, bro. <laughs> Killing it over here. Killing it. If my family could see me now, this, this pig pen's never looked this good. I'm just letting you know. Like, this is a pig pen that Jews would like. This is, this is the epitome of pig pens. And, and I'm killing it down here. And, uh, and no, this thin thing, this is in. And I don't need to eat. Anybody else in the room? And what we do, the importance is Jesus said, I came for people who are sick. And there's, a, there's, a, there's an insinuation that you know you're sick. Because you know who he was talking to? He was talking to religious rulers who didn't believe they were sick who didn't believe they had any sin to be forgiven, who didn't believe they needed a savior, who didn't believe they needed a Messiah. They thought, I'm okay. And so Jesus looks at him and says, I didn't come for you, bro. I came for people who knew they were sick. And so here's the issue. My wife and I tease about this all the time. Um, We live in an age of self-diagnosis. And you self-diagnose and you get online and you rub some stuff on here and rub some stuff on there and you're like, I'm good. I'm good. No, it's called sin and we're not good. And you can't rub the sin away. Amen. So we have to make sure we get the order right. There's a real, there has to be a realization that we're sick. We don't approach the throne of grace with, Hey God, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. And uh, you do what you do. I'll do what I do. No, when we approach the throne of grace, we go, man, if it wasn't for your grace, if it wasn't for your mercy, I'd I'd, I'd still be there. I'd still be there. Some of you this morning have never walked up to that, never walked up to God and said, I am sick and I need you this today. I need you today. And I want to encourage you today, the beginning of January, you could come to your senses today. There is no shame in it. There's no, there's no reason for you to starve to death when there's plenty out there. Amen. So the first thing we have to do is we have to admit we're sick. We have to admit we're sick. And, and if you're like me, I'm going to just be honest with you. I don't like people pointing out. They're like, what's that on your face? Nothing. It's like, you know, it's out here like this. No, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm good. I'm good. Like, clearly you're not good. So this isn't a, so this isn't a, an old school church service where I'm trying to preach you out of hell. This is one that we just need to come to our senses. In a room this size with this many people in it, I'm sure there's somebody at the end of the rope. I'm sure there's somebody at the end of the line going, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I can keep doing it. I don't know if I can hold it all together. You know, I like... Like you may be realizing a lot of the circumstance you're in is because of you. Nobody forced this guy to go do all those things. And there's times in our lives where we got to wake up and say, I'm sick because of the path I chose. I'm sick because of the things I did. 
And there's a healer out there that can make that better. There's a healer out there that could change my circumstance. And all I have to do is go, I did it. And now I'm turning away from what I did. And I'm turning towards what he can do. We can't get that out of order. Because the modern day church encourages you to walk up to Jesus and go, I'm good. What can you add to me? I'll say that again. This is how we preach modern, modern salvation. You're good, 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 good people. And everything you've done is fine. And when we come to Jesus, we bring all those great things that we've done. And we go, hey, can you, can you like multiply this like an investment opportunity? And what we don't realize is Jesus said himself, I didn't come for people who were already good. I came for people who were sick. So that's the first thing he does. He came to his senses. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. But here's the little caveat. You are the one that gets to determine the threshold. Isn't that exciting? You get to decide how sick you are. (laughs) You're free to decide how sick you are. So, um, We have this little thing like, how long are we going to wait before we go to the doctor? Anybody else? Like, how are you going to wait? You're like, it's just a little cancer right now. It's not much. I don't think I'm going. It's just a little bit of this. It's just a little bit of that. It's just a little lung infection. Plenty of people survive those. It's just a little bit of pneumonia. It's just a little abscess tooth. It's just a little bit. I actually have, uh, I've, I've had tooth pain for about three years now. I'm good. I've been chewing on this side of my mouth for three years. I'm like, all these teeth work? Like what? My dentist keeps telling me, are you going to get that fixed? I'm like, when it gets bad enough, when it gets bad enough. The crazy part is every single one of us determine the threshold at which we turn. There's nobody going to force you. Nobody going to draw the line for you and say, this is as low as you can go. We're not letting you go any lower. We all determine the threshold. So you know what I'm starting to figure out about life? It's much easier when you turn earlier. How many of you have ever got a trophy for being the lowest you've ever been? Like the family comes around and goes, hey, congratulations. This is the lowest you've ever been. We've never seen you this low. This is amazing. And yet you still won't admit it. When we talk about it in this light, it seems almost senseless, doesn't it? We can read stories about a a young man who will take all the money that was going to be given to him, squander it, live, live however he wanted, then end up in a famine, starving to death, thinking about going back to his father. And yet we don't think about the threshold that we set. How absurd it sounds. I would never let myself starve to death, would you now? And my plea with you this morning is don't set the threshold too low. If you're, if you're trying to figure out whether you want to turn from something, if you're trying to figure out whether you want to embrace Christ, if you're trying to figure out, don't set the threshold so low that you can't come back from it. Don't set the threshold. So I'm not saying that Jesus can't forgive you, but if you, if you set the threshold too low, 
Come on. Why not turn? Why not turn? Why, why do we always have to tell the story about how low we were? Why can't we just start turning early? What, what, if we made, what if we made an agreement here? Hey, we'll all just turn early. No more stubbornness. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? I know, we, I know, I know that most of you have kids, so you know what stubborn looks like. But what if we all just decided, hey, I'm not, what's the point? I'm going to start turning early. I'm going to start before, when I, when I have the thought of taking it all and running off, I'm going to say, that's a bad idea. I'll just turn early. I'll just turn to him early. There's a benefit in turning to him early. Amen? Because here's the truth of the matter. Satan will take you as deep as you will allow yourself to go. Satan will take you as deep as you allow yourself to go. D.L. Moody said this, the devil has never had a famine of husk. There are always plenty of husk and plenty of swine to eat them. The devil will never run out of depths to take you. The devil will never run out of, of, of heartache to bring you to. He will never run out of situations to bring you one step lower, one, one more step away from God. And all you have to do is come to your senses and say, what am I doing? I could turn and receive salvation and be healed. Amen. All right. I know they're cheering online, but that's fine. Accurate confession. You know what's harder than turning? Confessing. And, and, and let me say it this, this way. Because I can decide to turn and not tell anybody. Matter of fact, that's the way I like to do it. I like to do it like this. I like to be in a rut. And then I like to turn and decide to not be in that rut anymore. And just not tell anybody. Not address anything. Anybody else? Just keep it to yourself. How many of you know that's just hard? That, that, that's, that's hard to do because most of what we do impacts other people. Did you know that? I would say probably 90, 95% of what you do impacts the people around you. And so what happens is when we go, when we get that low, and then we decide to turn, everybody's like, oh, well, good for you. What about the last five years? And that's what's going on around us. So, so the importance of accurate confession, and let me explain it to you. The, the young man does it beautifully. Beautifully. It says he comes to his senses, and then he says this. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He says this, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him. Are you ready? This is, look at your neighbor say, this is confession. This is him confessing. Here's how it works. Father, I have sinned against. Everybody say it. I've sinned against. So he's basically saying, I've sinned against God, the father. In their culture, he would be saying, I sinned against the father. He's saying, I have sinned first and foremost against God. Are you following me? And then his what? His father, because he took the money and went out and squandered it. He became a disobedient son and, and, and just, and just drew the family name through the muck, literally. So do you see what's going on there? He's saying, I sinned against God and I sinned against you. He said, I'm going to go back and say that. Now the test is when he goes back, 
Is that what he says? So when he goes back, he, his, you know the story. His dad runs out to meet him. He's been watching every day since he's been gone. He runs out to meet him and he embraces him and he says, Father, I've sinned against, have, I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. The key to be, the key to confession is to be accurate and transparent. I've sinned against heaven. The young man knew he, they had sinned against first. The confession underscored that God was his heavenly father and he alone could forgive sin. His father could forgive him, but his father could not make him right with God. Are you following me? He understands this. He says that he sinned against heaven first. Now you say, well, how do you know that? Because if you go back to Exodus, you find out it says honor the fifth commandment. Does anybody know what that means? Anybody know the honor your father and mother? This is the first commandment with a what? Does anybody know that? A promise. And does anybody know what the promise was? To live a long life. Now, doesn't this seem to all come together now? Here's a guy who squandered his inheritance, runs off, he's, he's living wild, he's in, he's in a pagan nation, and he's feeding pigs, he's starving to death, and the commandment that he broke promised him that if he didn't do that, he'd live a long life. Well, that's a pretty easy equation, isn't it? Because I'm starving to death, and they're eating at my dad's house. So what happens is he realizes being a, being a, 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 a young man raised in a household that would have known the commandments, he said, listen, I've broken the fifth commandment. I've broken the, I haven't honored my father. I haven't honored my parents. And obviously if I keep doing this, my life is going to be shorter than it should be. So he says, God, I've broken your commandment. First and foremost, I've offended you. And whether anybody else forgives me, I need you to forgive me first. That's where we start. God, I need you to forgive me. I need your forgiveness today. All of our sin, great and small, is sin first and foremost against God. Even if the sin hurt no one else, you might say, well, this didn't even matter. It didn't hurt anybody else. It was against God. We should be assured that it did affect God. And whether we receive forgiveness or the penalty depends on our confession to him. Did you hear me? Confess our sin to him. And so the young man does. I sinned against God first. I sinned against him first. Then he looks at his dad and he says, I sinned before you. This may at times be the harder thing to do. Amen? This may at times be the harder thing to do because we say, okay, God, I sinned against you. Lord, forgive me. But then we got to stand in front of somebody else. And we got to say, hey, you know what? I did that to you. That was me. And I need you to forgive me about it. That's tough. But as I said before, 95% of the stuff we do wrong involves other people. It always does. It always does. When's the last time you had an attitude that didn't affect somebody else? When's the last time you sinned that didn't have an impact on someone else? 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 26. You've, this, is, this is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Did you hear that? Whoever is angry with his brother will be liable. So he's saying if you're just angry with somebody, you're sinning. I got everybody in the room now. We're all together. You're like, well, I ain't never killed nobody. Well, you, you were angry last week. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Okay, watch this. The, in, the, the insinuation here is that you're coming to worship Sunday morning and you come to church it's snowing and you're like, God, I even came in a snowstorm and I'm here and I need your blessing this morning, Lord. I need your goodness. I need something. I need your help. I need all these things. And you come here and, 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 and you remember that somebody has something against you. Now, what does that mean? You know the way I'm, if somebody has something against me, that must mean that I must have done something to them to have something against me. So he, he, he's saying, if you did something to somebody and they have something against you, don't wait until they come to you. You, before you worship, go to them. Are you seeing the, the pattern here? You take care of it. God, I sinned against you and I've sinned against this person. And before I lift my hands in worship, before I sing the song, before I do it, you know what he's basically saying? Deal with it quick. Deal with it quick. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. Deal with it quick. Go to people and say, hey, listen, I did this wrong. I apologize. I need you to forgive me. Now, it's up to them whether they forgive you or not. They control their own threshold. But once I do my thing, once I say, Lord, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against them, and I'm going to go to them before I worship you the next time. Jesus is telling him, hey, listen, it's not just about these big things. You don't have to kill somebody to be guilty. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? He's saying, no, 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 it's not just about that. It's about if, if you've done something to somebody and they have something against you, if they, have a, if they have a right to have something against you, go to them and fix it. Don't let that thing sit out there. Be in a rhythm of doing this before you come to worship, before you give. Be in a rhythm of fixing these things. Say amen if you're still with me. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. This is still Jesus. He's like, it'd be better for you to just fix it than to be, be stubborn and drag it all the way to court. He's saying, settle out of court. That's what he's saying. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be put in prison. Truly I say to you that you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus is telling a story of someone who is guilty, not falsely charged. He's not telling a story of somebody like, I've been falsely accused. I don't know what to do. I don't, I didn't do anything. No, he's saying you owed somebody, you, you created a debt. You did something to somebody and they've accused you now. There's something against you. He's saying, go fix it quickly before it escalates. Remember, we can decide the threshold. So we must be willing to admit that we have sinned and we must be willing to admit that we've sinned against someone else. 
and able to allow people to point that out to us. Oh, that stinks. That stinks. So, before we go any further, I want to say this. If you have not turned towards Jesus today, I'm not saying for the hundredth time. I'm saying for the first time. If you have not turned turn towards Jesus today, all I can tell you is this. The slope on the way down gets steeper. Follow the prodigal son. It was, it's, I bet you it seemed pretty sweet at the beginning. When you got fistfuls of money and you're doing whatever you want, it's got to feel good. Can we agree with that? It's got to feel good for a season. And I think the trick to sin is it all feels good for a little bit. Amen? There's nobody that sins and in the middle of it going, ah, this is awful. No, it, it feels good for a while. But what you see this man's life do is you see him going like this. And then at the end, it dropped off the cliff. And my message to you as a pastor is saying, don't wait until it gets to the cliff edge. Don't wait until you're all the way down at the bottom. Turn today. Don't, don't wait another day. Turn today and say, Lord, I don't want to be down that far. I don't want to let this go any farther. I, I have to come to my senses today and turn towards you and repent. That's the turning part. And then confess, this is what I've been doing. And first I've sinned against you. And then we can address the people that are involved in it. But these are the steps to receive forgiveness and peace in your life. Amen. Okay. Now for those of you that are well, you thought I was going to leave you out. You're sitting here this morning for the last 20 minutes. You're like, I'm glad he's talking to these sinners, man. I'm glad he's giving it to him. I'm, I brought my buddy here today and he's ready. And I'm glad he gave it to him. And here we are. Now it's your turn. Are you ready? You've been coming to church your whole life. You went to Sunday school. You memorized the scriptures. You came to church your whole life. And you're still unaware. Luke 15, chapter 25 through 30. Now the older son, listen to this, was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called out to one of the servants and asked, what these, these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. Now remember, Jesus is talking to Pharisees here. But he was angry and confused to go in and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command. I cannot think of a more unaware statement than that. I have never. I, it, you, you hear what I'm saying? I have never disobeyed your command. This is a classic example. This is a classic example of a religious person who thinks they're okay. And so they're, they're hyperbolic about their obedience. Oh, I would never do something like that. I saw you last week in traffic. <laughs> Look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat. So we could count a couple things. He's a liar. He's greedy. He's envious. Come on, do we want to keep going? 
Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not even my brother anymore, when this son of yours came who has devoured your property, when this sinner came back and you embraced him, devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Okay, this speaks to the importance of a pattern of confession and forgiveness in the life of a believer. Okay, if you've been serving God for five minutes, 10 minutes, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, there should be a pattern in our lives that is established of being self-aware, emotional, emotional IQ, emotional intelligence, aware of our thoughts, aware of our actions, aware of us. Being aware of us to know when we sin. Because guess what? Even though you've been freed from being a slave of sin, sin still remains in us. Amen? And so there is no one here, even if you've been serving God 50 years, that does not deal with sin at some level. Probably less than others, but still at some level. And the danger is if we can start believing our own press. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I would never do something like that. I would never be a prodigal son. The truth of the matter is you probably forgot about being a prodigal son. I would never do something like that. And we start judging how good we are based on how bad other people are. And the Pharisees would do that. They would... The tax collector would kneel down in the, in the temple to give and he would pray, Lord, have mercy on me. And, and, the, and the religious man would stand up with his shoulders back and I'm glad I'm not one of them. And the truth of the matter is if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can be un, as unaware in the church as those outside the church. Because we have kind of this system in place where we, where we don't cuss as much and we, and we give a little bit and we, and we do these things. And, and it's got this, it's got this semblance of holiness in it. And, and yet, and yet we're still doing this, we're, we're still going without confession. What if, let me paint you a different story here. What if the older brother had heard of the younger brother came, coming back and he said, Oh my God, I'm so thankful. That you've taken care of me. And by the way, I, I too have sinned against you, even in your own house. So the truth of the matter is, no matter how long we serve God, we never get away from it. Because I don't know about you, but I still deal with sin. I still deal with failure. I still deal with, with this is God's expectation. And I'm not meaning it every day. So then I have to do the same thing. Even as a pastor, I have to say, Chris, don't let yourself go too low here. The key is, is that you turn and you can, Lord, I sinned against you. And then you look at the person, I sinned against you too. And we got to, we got to deal with this quick because I don't want to get to the place where I don't think I need a doctor. I don't want to get to the place where I don't need grace and mercy anymore. Are you with me? Are, are you following me? I don't, I don't want to get to the place this pattern of repentance remains in the life of every believer. We're made aware of our sin through God's word and the Holy Spirit. And sometimes each other, sometimes we have friends and mentors that point out to us. Sometimes it's not even a friend. Sometimes people that we don't even know are like point it out to us. Sometimes they use fingers to point it out. By the way, if somebody screams at you on the road, why are you the only innocent one on the road? 
Just the thought. We confess that sin and by faith we're given the power of the Holy Spirit to then resist it. It's not biblical to simply remain in your current state. You do realize that it's not biblical just to remain where you are. We're to be moving closer to God through the pattern of repentance, confession, and faith. It never stops. There's no one who comes to Christ that, that, that has to stop confessing sin. Romans talks about this. We're going to leave it with this. The band's going to come up. What shall we say then? Paul's writing his letter to the church in Rome. Romans 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we continue in sin that grace may abound? He's saying, are, are you able to do whatever you want to do so, just because there's grace now? He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He's saying you are not bound by sin anymore, but that doesn't mean you go on sinning. This isn't, I've come to you, I've turned, and now I get to do whatever I want to do. No, Paul's saying this pattern of confession, this pattern of repentance and confession and faith and change in our lives that continues all the way till the end of our life. So you say, well, Chris, what does this have to do with hearing from God? That's what it's called. Listen for the whisper. If we're letting sin pile up in our lives, we're not going to hear God through that. We're not going to hear God through that. The key to hearing God is to quiet ourselves, but to confess as the sin in our lives, to get it dealt with quickly, to deal with our relationships quickly. Our futures depend on it. Don't let it hang out there. If you're already a follower of Christ, don't let it hang out there. Don't let it go undealt with. Don't, don't let it pile up because you need to hear from God. You've got to keep that pattern present. Paul also wrote to the church in Rome in verse chapter 12. He says, listen, with, with this whole mindset that you're dealing with, don't be conformed to the way the world thinks where everything's okay, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. Everybody's asking, man, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? I can tell you the first thing he wants you to do this morning. If you haven't accepted Christ as your savior, that's the first thing he wants you to do. You'll never know the will of God without first submitting to the will of God. This is not hellfire and brimstone. This is, this is, come on, don't, don't wait. Don't go to your lowest. Don't, it's not necessary. It's not necessary. All you have to do is turn and say, Lord, I've, conf I, I've sinned against you. And I'm willing to deal with the people that I've sinned against. I just, I need you to forgive me. He could do that this morning. He could do that this morning. And then you'll be able to hear, then you'll be able to hear God's will for you, Paul says. And then if you're in here, you've been coming to church your whole life and you say, Chris, man, I've, I just haven't done it lately. I just haven't done it lately. I've been coming to church. I know the Bible, 
but I just haven't gotten serious about sin in my life. Just haven't done it. We need to establish that pattern. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Not because we're just afraid of punishment, but because his grace is so good. It's so good to not have to carry the weight around every day, worrying about getting caught, worrying about this, worrying about that, worrying about how, like, what's going to happen? No, I have been set free. I've been made whole. And I don't carry any condemnation. Wasn't designed to do it. I don't carry condemnation. So I want to present that to you this morning. If, if you're far away from God, you say, man, I'm, I don't know how much lower I could go. Don't take another step that direction. Turn around this morning. Come to your senses. And then if you've been in the church a long time, come on. Get this pattern established in your life and keep the slate clean with him. Let him forgive you every morning. Wipe it clean. Get in a pattern of confession. Get in a pattern of confession and feel how much lighter your heart gets. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Let's pray that way today. Let's pray that way today. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that we can have moments like this where you bring us to the truth. Lord, we thank you that that you, you have come to seek and save us in these circumstances. You, your Holy Spirit is drawing us to you this morning. So we thank you for that. If there's one person here today, Lord, that has never decided to follow you, Lord, and they are at the end of their rope, Lord, I pray that they would just pivot this morning. They pivot this morning back to you, back to you. And you, they'd receive forgiveness, grace, and mercy today. And you'd lighten their load this morning, God. And Lord, I pray for the person who has known you but gotten out of a pattern of confession. Lord, I pray that we'd wipe the slate clean this morning. I pray that you'd cleanse us one more time. I pray that we'd keep it clean, that we'd come to you, we'd deal with the fences quickly. Lord, that we would get these things right by your grace. Forgive us today, Lord. Forgive us of our sins as we confess them to you and make us whole and healed this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, could you give him praise and honor this morning, church? Come on, if you receive that today, thank him. Thank him. Pivot this morning and don't.